This week's TribCast is sponsored by Discover Downtown Luxury at Fairmont Austin. Experience lavishly appointed rooms, exquisite dining, and sweeping views of the sparkling skyline. And today's TribCast is brought to you by Lowy Law Firm. Adam Lowy created his firm with a bold new vision. Explore how they help injured Texans at LoweyLawFirm.com. Hello and welcome to the Texas Tribune Tribcast for August 12th, 2020. Uh, I regret to inform you that Alexa Ura is off this week, so I, Matthew Watkins, managing editor of the Texas Tribune, will be your host today. Uh, this week, uh, I am joined by executive editor Ross Ramsey. We're mourning Alexa because she has a new dog chewing up her furniture. <laughs> Sorry, we won't be able to hear her dog barking this week. People will miss that. <laughs> Uh, also joining us is politics reporter uh, Alex Samuels. Howdy. And higher education reporter Raga Justin. Hi. Thank you all for joining us. So Raga, it has been a busy morning for you. Um, we had some big news coming out of UT that um, interim president Jay Hartzell will be the permanent selection named sole finalist. But we're in Texas, so I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about college football. <laughs> Tell us what's been going on this week. Are we playing football? Will we be able to watch college football this fall? It's very important to me. <laughs> well, I think you can rest easy because, at least in Texas, um, the Big 12, which is we've got four of the, the major football teams in Texas, um, they have officially announced that they are moving forward with playing as scheduled this season. Uh, so that's Texas Tech, Baylor, Texas Christian University, um, and, of course, UT at Austin. So yeah, Big 12 president um, and then the commissioner earlier today came out and said, look guys, like it's okay, we're going to be moving forward with playing. Um, they're leaving themselves open though to change. So, you know, they're saying if anything changes, if as we get closer to the start of the season, which I think is scheduled for September 26th, um, if anything, you know, the situation with around coronavirus changes in the state or locally, um, we are open to making, you know, just really quick adjustments. Um, and of course, the reason, you know, people were freaking out about this before today was because the Big Ten and the Pac-12, two other major conferences in the country, they had announced that they weren't going to go forward with playing football this season, um, which is a big deal. I mean, that's a lot of schools that are, you know, stand to be impacted. Um, and they said, we just don't see us moving forward uh, with safely playing and keeping student athletes safe and keeping coaches and staff members safe. So they decided to postpone the season to spring 2021, which, of course, presents a whole new set of problems. Who knows if they'll even get to play? Um, but at least here in Texas, and we're pretty you know, gung-ho about moving forward. Um, the other big one, the SEC, which has A&M uh, at College Station, they haven't formally announced a set decision. Um, but I mean, by all accounts, the commissioner has said we are planning towards a safe return this fall. So looks like you'll be able to watch football, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I just hope that, you know, it, it can be done in a safe way. We'll <laughs> see. It'll be interesting. Uh, you know, yeah, you talk about A&M, you know, no kind of formal announcement and everything like that. I did see on the A&M football team's Twitter page today that they announced the football uniform they'd be wearing this year. So they definitely <laughs> seem to be acting as though they are planning to play. Ross, is this a good idea? I just, I want to know if the new jerseys have little red dots all over them. That, you know, that'll be the, the test of this. 
If they're going to start conference games, this, it may be too early to know this detail, but if, if they're going to start conference games on September 26th, are they playing non-conference games? Are we going to have a whole round of September football, or does it wait for the until the end of the month? Yeah, um, it looks like some of them, and I can't think quite off the top of my head. I think UT Austin is going ahead and starting September 26th with uh, Texas Tech. But the other three, it looks like they have that one non-conference game coming right before September 26th. Uh-huh. So looking at playing around September 11th or uh, one of those earlier weekends with the other schools in the state. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. I mean, you know, all of the all of the experiences that we're about to have, that everybody's fretting over one way or the other, whether that's going back to school, playing football, all of these things are going to be actual experiences. We'll have seen the results when we start voting. Voting's about two weeks from, I think early voting starts two two months from yesterday. Uh, so we're right on top of this. And as we unfurl school openings and unfurl football, if that's a good experience, voters will have one set of ideas about it. If it's a bad experience, they'll have another set. It's a real big bet. It's a real big wager uh, going into an election. It could be the things that everybody's thinking about or among the things that everybody's thinking about when they're deciding who to put back in the legislature, who to put in Congress. Yeah, you know, you know, one of the things that I think a lot of people have been asking is, uh, you know, it's interesting to see these different conferences make different decisions, right? You've got the Big 12 SEC um, and also the ACC um, seeming to say they want to play, and then now these two other conferences saying they're not going to. I mean, what's the difference here? Why is it safe to play football in Austin or Oklahoma, but not safe to play football in Berkeley, California, or, you know, uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. Well, think about who the governors are in the state you just mentioned. <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, I think you've got, I think you've got conservative, you know, in some, in some, to some extent here, you've got red states and blue states. I think, you know, um, you've also got states with a lot of, um, rural territory in them and, and, you know, uh, I don't want to say stronger football traditions, although I am a Texan and I personally think our football traditions are stronger. But, you know, I mean, they've got strong football traditions in California and Michigan, too. Uh, I just think they have a different perception, maybe publicly and uh, maybe even, you know, medically of, of how this coronavirus is proceeding. Yeah, I mean, you talk about the political angle. Alex, you were watching Governor Abbott yesterday, and I know that he got asked about this a few times. I mean, can you kind of just sum up what his response to this was? Yeah, so, you know, I try not to tune out when they talk about sports, but, you know, for the sake of this, I did listen. Um, it's your job. <laughs> uh, but he basically said that several months ago, he had talked to the athletic directors at a lot of the major universities and had maintained some level of contact with them, but wasn't, you know, still actively talking to them. Uh, of course, before, I think Abbott had said, you know, they were going to limit seating capacity at like 50% or 25%. But that was, of course, before we saw the numbers rise um, like they are now. So uh, Abbott basically said that he supports the student athletes, but of course, their health and their safety and their careers come first. Um, so I don't think he was actively saying, you know, yes, we have to play or no, we don't have to play. I think he's kind of deferring to what uh, everyone else decides. You know, I, I joke about, you know, am I get, going to get to watch football? I am, a, I am a big football fan, but I think it's important to note the money aspect to this. Um, you know, I, I went down the list of all the Texas A&M University system schools that play football, and I believe there are six, if I'm not missing any. 
A&M, Tarleton State, Prairie View A&M, A&M Kingsville, West Texas A&M, and A&M Commerce. Tarleton State, Prairie View A&M, A&M Kingsville, West Texas A&M, and A&M Commerce have all canceled football for the fall. A&M College Station is still playing. What's the difference between those schools? I mean, it's pretty obvious. The difference is that A&M College Station makes a ton of money off of college football. And those other schools, if they make any money, it's not very much. And I would venture to guess that a lot of them actually lose money on this. I mean, you know, why? One question I would love to kind of ask these conference leaders, these university presidents, is like, why is it safe for the big money making players to be, you know, programs to be playing when it's not a good idea for all these other schools? Uh, has has anyone addressed that, Raga? I mean, have you have you heard anyone kind of discuss that issue? Not so much. Um, I think just from what I've been reading and seeing, I mean, Division Two and Division three, like those two divisions went ahead and canceled um, sports across the board. So now we're just left with D1 schools, right, of which, you know, the flagship, the College Station, UT Austin, um, the big money makers are all included within. But the other two divisions, and this is where I get personally kind of fuzzy on this, I don't know exactly who's making the call here. But if it is a division wide, you know, decision, then I, I could see how maybe some of those other A&M uh, campuses didn't have as much say as, you know, mm-hmm. A&M College Station or UT Austin. But I think the money thing is also really, really important. I mean, you know, we, we did the story on this. It was a ton of money that's going back into places like College Station and like Austin, um, where the big flagships are and where the big D1 schools are. So I don't know if that answers your question. I, yeah. I don't know if it's entirely all in the university president's hands. It, it I think that's a good for that. It puts some shade on the on the argument that a lot of the politicians are making. You know, you've heard the president, you've heard the governor both say and a bunch of other people like that say, well, these kids have worked so hard and they really, really want to play. I'm sure that's probably true in Canyon and Kingsville and Commerce and all those other places, as true as it is probably in Bryan College Station. So there's that. The other thing I wonder about this is whether the players are obligated to play, whether the, you know, if I'm going to school, if I'm a football player at UT or A&M or, you know, Rice or whatever, am I obligated to play? Do I, do I jeopardize, jeopardize my scholarship if I say I'd rather not take the health risk? I think, you know, I think that's still going to play out. That's going to be interesting. Yeah. And I think, you know, there are obviously other sports that are being played right now. You've got the NBA, the major league baseball, um, Major League Soccer playing right now. Most of those games are being played without fans. Um, and there's a key difference there, which is that all those players are paid. You know, they, they're professionals. And, you know, right. one of the big kind of, uh, you know, somewhat argue myths about uh, uh, college athletics is that it's not about the money. But, you know, one of the things is, you know, you can kind of more easily tell an NBA team, hey, go, you know, they call it the bubble, go into this bubble and don't leave and cut off all contact with the um, the outside world while we go play these games. You're going to get paid for it. And, you know, we kind of need this financially. Um, you know, these football players are supposed to be kind of part of their campus communities. They're going to be going out, you know, some school, you know, will be having on-campus learning, you know, are they going to be out kind of with uh, – other students and all those things you can't just like 
trap your college your unpaid call unpaid college athletes in a bubble for however many months it takes to play football um but then also i mean it seems as though some of these schools are still planning to play in front of fans is that right raga yeah uh, i think like alex was saying the capacity has been capped at 50 percent, but several schools are looking at alternatives to that so texas tech I think is moving forward with the 25% capacity. Um, UT, although it's been trying to play at 50% capacity, it's going to, I think, going to have to move down to 25% as well. Um, A&M, I think the latest that I'd heard from them was that they were moving forward with 50%, um, which, I mean, that's a lot of people if you think about that stadium. It's 100,000 seat stadium. Yeah. (laughs) Just off the top of your head, right? Right. (laughs) Fun facts. (laughs) Yeah, you know, we'll get a little uh, sample of what this might look like today when the the FC Dallas football team, we had a story by one of our reporters, Valeria, um, writing about this is kind of the first kind of major league sports event in the country being played in front of fans um, uh, today. Uh, You know, that's a 20,000 seat stadium, nothing compared to what UT and A&M play in front of, and they're going to have 25% capacity, but, you know, at least we'll get a sense, you know, one thing that kind of struck me in that article that Valeria wrote was um, she quoted uh, uh, Dr. Fauci from um, an interview from with the wall street journal um, in which they asked him about playing in front of fans. And he was not as adamantly opposed to it as I would have thought, you know, uh, when this kind of talk has come up with um, the UT Austin, we heard from the local health authority saying, you know, this is a bad idea. And um, with our kind of federal health authority, he, um, you know, advised a lot of caution, but did not come out and say that he wouldn't do this. And he even said that if his daughter asked him, you know, if she wanted to, if she wanted to go to a baseball game, you know, would he advise against it? And he said he wouldn't necessarily do that, that he'd leave it up to her, that you have to be careful. You have to wear masks and all that, all that kind of stuff and maintain social distancing. But, um, you know, one thing that he noted and that others have noted is that, you know, most of these games will be played outside, which is a little bit better than kind of the indoor ventilation, um, and and things like that. So we'll see. I mean, it's a big risk. Um, and as you noted, Raga, things can change between now and September 26th. And if we see a spike or anything like that, um, we will, uh, you know, we might not end up having football after all. Um, Ross, I mean, you kind of made this point earlier about the politics of this. You know, we saw um, when that big kind of push from the players saying, let us play happen. We even saw the president weigh in and say, you know, kind of let us play. And there was a little bit of chatter kind of among, you know, the pundit class and everything like that is that is how does, how does this play politically? You know, are there people in places like Texas who are going to hold it against their elected officials if they, don't uh get to watch college football this year uh what do you think i mean does this does this have an impact electorally in any way you know if you're looking at it right now it's the same as you know in some ways it's very similar to putting kids back in public schools it's speculative right now you can say you know from this vantage point i think it's a risk or it's not a risk i think that the you know the better track would be to get kids back in school or i think the better track would be to keep kids out of school but you're basically you know speculating about what might happen. When we go to vote in two months, we will know. We won't be speculating anymore. We will see how it's gone with football, how it's gone with public schools, all of those kinds of things. It may be that, you know, our worries are misplaced and this that this all goes fine. And I think that'll be good for incumbents and good for the people who called for opening. It could, on the other hand, go the other way. You know, the NBA has had a really good experience so far 
Uh, Major League Baseball has had a really mixed bag. You know, I'm a Cardinals fan, and there's 23 people in the Cardinals organization, uh, players and staff, who've been tested positive for COVID and, you know, had to, have had to cancel a bunch of games. It depends on which experience you get. And I think, you know, this is definitely a political play. I think it's a high-stakes one. If it works, um, that's going to be good for the people who open the doors. If it doesn't work, they're the ones who are going to get the blame. Yeah, I mean, you talk about, we always talk about in elections, the October surprise, right? And this is right. like, this could possibly be the ultimate October surprise. I mean, you mentioned in a call in, uh, over the past <laughs> week that, you know, schools are likely to be kind of the number one issue in the elections this year. And yeah. particularly in Texas, this is going to play out like right at peak election time. You know, people going back to college, these schools that have been allowed to delay in-person learning. You know, if, if things are going to if this is going to cause an outbreak or, you know, big problems with the numbers in Texas, it's going to happen, you know, right around when it's time to start early voting. And, and so that's a big, uh, like you said, a big risk. And, yeah. um, you know, we've, we've seen a little bit about Abbott, you know, in his comments lately, kind of trying to put, um, uh, you know, some of the onus on the local districts saying, you know, it's, it's ultimately their decision. They're going to be the best position to decide kind of how, how some of this should go. But it's hard to imagine if there are you know, kids getting sick or kids bringing the virus home to their families and we see big spikes again, that, you know, um, that's that the party in charge is, might have to pay a price for that during an extremely important time electorally for the party. You know, and it could be, you know, that, you know, part of the problem with the education thing is that you're choosing between two things that, you know, are uncomfortable for parents and kids, certainly, but for other voters as well. I mean, if you if the schools go well, <clears throat> and you've got the kids back in school, then you've got parents back to work. If, on the other hand, it goes poorly and you get another uh, surge in the coronavirus like we saw in June and July, um, then you're going to have to, you know, uh, answer for that. You know, on the other hand, if, if, if you take the safe way out and say, well, we think it might be bad, let's keep the kids at home, that's another set of problems that, you know, for parents and for their employers and others and is also politically dangerous. So, you know, um, you know, probably flipping quarters in the governor's office, trying to figure out what to do. Yeah, it's kind of an impossible situation. Right. Okay, well, let's take a break before we move on to our next topic and hear a word from our sponsors. Texas Association of Freestanding Emergency Centers strives for Texans to have timely access to high-quality emergency care and champions fair regulation in the industry. More at tafec.org. And WGU Texas. Upskill, reskill. Earn a four-year degree faster. Accelerated, accredited online degrees in business, IT, healthcare, and education. Visit texas.wgu.edu slash admissions. Okay, so we had, you know, some big breaking news in Texas about football and, and the University of Texas. But yesterday, the, the news was dominated by the long-awaited vice presidential pick from Joe Biden. Um, as everyone knows, it was Kamala Harris, the, um, the senator from California. Alex, you've been watching kind of the national politics in this race. Um, what are you hearing from uh, Texas Democrats about this pick? What has the reaction been? Uh, I think Texas Democrats are over the moon <laughs> with this pick. They think Kamala is great for this moment. She's a woman of color. She's 
younger than Biden. Uh, she brings sort of a, you know, he's from East Coast, she's from the West Coast type of thing. So they have that difference that really helps balance out the ticket. Um, I think there was a fear among uh, maybe more moderate Democrats that Biden might have picked someone uh, who is a little bit more progressive. But I think Kamala is largely seen as a safe choice for the party. Um, and I think at the minimum, you know, she is that safe choice. But at best, uh, Biden might as well be anointing her to be a de facto leader for the party for years to come. So I think this really speaks to the future of the Democratic Party and what the Democrats hope uh, the future of the party will look like. Sure, yeah. And I think, uh, you know, we have seen uh, Kamala, she has had a, you know, somewhat of a relationship with Texas based on her uh, her primary run when she was running for president. I mean, uh, what was her presence here when, when she was campaigning? Did we, did we see much from her then? We didn't see too much. She had back-to-back rallies in Tarrant County and Harris County, which I believe which was in March of 2019. But she didn't make too much of a play for Texas like we saw from Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, um, um, or I guess even Biden at that point. Um, but at that point, she was sort of, you know, not as popular of a candidate. She was maybe in like the top five or so. And so I think she was more focused on other states uh, outside of Texas. Um I think I was looking at a uh, polling that we've done, you know, shout out to Ross. Uh, I believe it was in February where she only had 5% of October. Texans. October. October. Okay. Okay. I got. She, she dropped out. In, <laughs> she dropped. It was on our February poll, but she had dropped oh, out in it was December. November. So she, okay. so uh, we, we, we polled while she was still in the race in October and she was at 5%. Yeah. She was at five and then she was followed by Andrew Yang, Julian Castro, Tulsi Gabbard, like, so she wasn't polling great in the state of Texas. So, I mean, talking to Republicans today, they're basically like, she didn't do well in the primary. She's not that impressive of a candidate in their eyes. What is she going to add to the ticket? But I think for Democrats, it's really the the history of it. You know, you're putting the first black, first Asian American woman, um, you know, to potentially be the vice president of the United States. Yeah, I mean, I think one big question I have is like, I, I think a lot of times, you know, it, it ends up being the top of the ticket that kind of determines people's votes. Um, you know, uh, there there could have been a risk here if, as you said, you know, Elizabeth Warren or, or someone known as, you know, pushing very kind of uh, progressive policies from the left wing of the policy uh, of the party had come up, um, you know, but this, in terms of positions, as you said, I think is being perceived as a safer choice. Um, one thing I'm curious to see and, you know, curious on y'all's opinion is, does the historic nature of her addition to the ticket, is there any chance of that exciting, you know, segments of the party that the, um, uh, that the Texas Democrats are looking for in a way that actually, you know, moves the needle for, uh, for Biden in his attempts to win Texas in the fall? Does this does do we see this really affecting his chances much at all? Um, I think you know it might help having a woman on his ticket in the suburbs. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how much it might not be even that much, you know, moving the needle. But the fact that he does have a woman could appeal to uh, you know disillusioned Republican women. Uh, the fact that she's a woman of color, a black woman, black the black voting bloc is long sought after uh, from both parties. And I think that will help her, especially in the more diverse Harris and uh, Dallas counties. 
she is a little bit younger. You know, I think she's, I believe she's 55. Um, but I don't think she energizes the, the youths, you know, the Gen Z millennials in the same way that a Bernie or a Warren would have. So I think that's the problem that both Republicans and Democrats are going to have in the presidential race. How do they energize the younger voters? You know, one of the things that was uh, that the Democrats thought was missing in 2016 was that a lot of the voters that helped elect um, Barack Obama and Joe Biden in 08 and 12 didn't show up again for Hillary Clinton. Um, and they, you know, notably, you know, um, black women um, didn't show up in the same numbers that they had showed up in previous races. So, you know, you may bring that group back. You also, with this, you know, and Alex, you know, got to this, I think, um, she's not as progressive or liberal as some of the other possibilities here were. And so they don't have, you know, they had that fear of scaring off independent voters or disillusioned Republican voters who might vote for Biden, but, you know, didn't want to um, vote for somebody they perceived as too far from the left. So, you know, it still shapes up as a race, you know, so far although we're in the early stages, it still shapes up as a race, as a referendum on the incumbent more than a, you know, in some ways more than a head to head. And, you know, as the race gets engaged and you see the candidates, both the vice presidential candidates and the presidential candidates really going after each other. I think one of the things Biden did here was pick somebody who has some experience with that kind of uh, close warfare. You know, I think it's going to be a really if you're just a political watcher and kind of a political fanboy like I am, uh, this is going to be a really interesting race to watch. Sure. Yeah. You know, we've we've seen kind of in the reaction among the Republicans is that, you know, she she doesn't necessarily represent that um, uh, Bernie uh, Warren wing of the party. But, um, you know, that that didn't really stop uh, the GOP from trying to um, to to pin that on her. I mean, it, it seemed like Alex, with a big reaction we were hearing from GOP, you know, I, I remember seeing something from, from governor Perry soon after this, um, mm-hmm. former governor Perry that, you know, this is, this is an extreme ticket and stuff like that. I mean, I guess the question is, will that work? Yeah. I mean, that's really the line that Republicans are pushing, especially the fact that she's from California. It's like, Oh, we don't want uh, those California policies in Texas and whatnot. But I mean, the fact of the matter is when you compare her to some of the other, you know, contenders like a Warren, she is more left of center than those other candidates. All right. Well, we will see. I'm sure we'll be talking about this um, for the weeks to come as we as we watch this um, uh, play out. Um, okay. well, I, that uh, uh, wraps up the uh, the trip cast for us. Um, and as I pull up our list of sponsors to thank, uh, thank you to Ross and uh, Alex and uh, Raga for, for joining us today. And thank you to the Fairmont Austin and the Lowy Law Firm, um, the Texas Association of Freestanding Emergency Centers and WGU Texas. Um, Alexa will be back to save me next week. Uh, uh, <laughs> thanks, everyone, and, and see you then. You